0: This is New Talks on the Record with me, Kieran Cudahy, and time now for more hidden histories. Yes, that is Les Chants des Partisans, a very well known French (laughs) resistance song. Probably less well known is the connection that's one. Dubliner Samuel Beckett had to the French resistance and his role in it. Donald Fallon from Hidden Histories or from the Come Here to Me blog, uh, book volume two, out now, is here to tell me all about it. Donald, you're very welcome. It's good to be here. I, the French, you'd imagine like the first meeting of the, the resistance, they sit down and being French, they decide what's our song going to be, you know what I mean? Well, they they
1: commissioned this. What are the uniforms going to look like? Yeah. What's the song going to be? And what bottle of wine are we going to endorse? Oh, it's brilliant
0: though, isn't it? It is great. Um, Samuel Beckett, though, back to this. I, like, I've i heard a lot about Samuel Beckett. I've never heard this. Like, he mm. He wore a lot of different hats, he French resist- resistance fighter amongst them. We'll
1: put this, and I don't know why it took so long to get around to Beckett, but we'll put this in my head is next year uh, is the 50th anniversary of Samuel Beckett winning the Nobel Prize for Literature. And he was the third Dubliner to receive that award. And the four, uh, Well, there's been another Irishman since... Uh, Seamus Heaney, uh, but I think even though he was a Dubliner, Beckett is very much synonymous with with France. You know, he lived most of his adult life in France, and a very curious dimension of the Samuel Beckett story concerns what we're talking about today: his time in the French Resistance. And he dismissed it himself as Boy Scout stuff, but you know, I think he he did a lot more than he ever wanted to say. And there's just so many beautiful little anecdotes and stories uh, around Samuel Beckett's life. You know, that story of him allegedly driving a famous neighbor. Uh, world Wrestling Superstar Andre the Giant Ah hold the on. school
0: Is that true? <laughs> I've heard that so many times and well, they used to talk about cricket or something in the car there,
1: There's, there's a, a great article about this on the wonderfully named website balls.ie the sports website and they've dug a little bit on it and there's a degree of truth in it actually Beckett did drop local children to school but he didn't have when well, he dropped Andre the Giant to school he didn't have a particularly close relationship with Andre the Giant Okay so this idea
0: so, that they, they kind of drove around discussing cricket
1: Oh yeah I mean they talked about love and war and poetry and everything else <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly there's no truth in that <laughs> uh, but he is I think Beckett is one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented of all Irish talents because he's dismissed too often as being just bleak or depressing Uh, and there is a certain black comedy and there's a tragic outlook on human existence and a lot of it. But there's also, you know, great humour and humanity in, in, in Beckett's work. And his brother Frank once wrote to him and said, why can't you write the way people want? But, you know, in truth, he did. He did write in the way people wanted him to write because he had massive resonance with people in his own lifetime and since.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit then, for people who don't know, and me included, a bit more about his background.
1: So before the French resistance <laughs> slave yeah. was remarkably, you know, affluent and quite comfortable, he came from Fox Rock uh, the house was complete with a tennis court. There was nearby horse racing to be enjoyed. And, you know, it was a childhood that was pretty far removed from many of his literary contemporaries. Uh, and, you know, he was brought by his father to see the flames of the 1916 rising from a comfortable distance, which I think left a kind of lasting imprint on him. But as a young man, he went to a boarding school and in Enniskillen, and, and, you know, as his brothers had been sent there too. And he always said himself that he felt his family put him there to get him away from the troubles, you know, the war of independence and all of that. Yeah. So in the, in the words of one biographer, He came from an atypical Irish family, Protestant in a Catholic country, modestly affluent in a poor country. And I think there was always this French thing going on. You know, the blood that ran in Beckett's veins was French. Not far from where we are at the minute, there's a Huguenot cemetery beside uh, St. Stephen's Green in Dublin. And in that cemetery, there are relatives of Samuel Beckett's. And basically the Huguenots were, you know, Protestant refugees that got out of France in the late 17th century. Sean Lamass, there's another very curious Irish name. You know, Lamass's family were Huguenots as well. So I think Beckett had this allure, this pull, France had this pull for him, I should say, much like it had for James Joyce. Now, Joyce didn't have French blood, but Beckett did. And I think... And from a very young age, France was his calling.
0: So it's probably not that surprising then that he, he found himself in Paris.
1: And what a city to find yourself in, you know, as a young creative man with money in your pocket. Uh, and Thomas McCreevy, a poet, a great Irish poet, later became the head of the National Gallery. Uh, kind of took young Beckett under the hand under the arm and brought him around Paris Uh, and Paris has always captivated Irishmen Wolf Tone fell in love with the city Brendan Behan James Joyce all good solid drinkers I think that was the main lore for them of the wine bars and the cafes Uh, but Thomas McCreevy was teaching English in Paris in the 1920s when this young Beckett arrives on the scene and he opens so many doors I mean he introduces him to James Joyce this is post Ulysses you know Joyce is one of the most celebrated writers in the world he brings him to the bars he brings him to the cafes and the place is just bursting with creativity and literary freedom that you didn't have at home. And I remember we mentioned on this slot before that in 1925, the Irish government set up what was called a Committee on Evil Literature. You know, that wasn't happening in France In France you could write Whatever you wanted So Beckett is really Drawn into France As a young creative man uh, And he doesn't really Have a sense of Irishness You know He writes to Thomas once He says God love thee Tom And don't be minding me I can't think of Ireland The way you do You know, Ever yours Sam For him The world was home And Paris in particular But he did come back to Ireland He came back very briefly And he taught at Trinity College Dublin and uh, my apologies to any Trinity College graduates listening to the programme, but his description of Trinity College remains one of the greatest put-downs of Beckett's career. He said that the Trinity College Dublin contains the cream of Ireland, rich and tick. <laughs> it, was, it was a very brief uh, academic career, but he commemorated it beautiful, beautifully in poem. Spend the years of learning squandering, courage for the years of wandering, through a world politely turning, from the loutishness of learning. You know, it just wasn't for him.
0: Uh, The years of wandering then as well applied to him. It wasn't just Paris and Dublin, he travelled around. Yeah, he
1: went around Europe as, as writers tend to do. Uh, And I mean, he was everywhere. And I think the drums of war when they were being heard on the continent, uh, you know, the rise of fascism in Spain was something that very much frightened uh, Samuel Beckett. And they actually did this beautiful European wide survey in 1937. They wrote to authors all over Europe and they said, what do you think about what's happening in Europe? You know, The rise of fascism, how do you feel? And it was called Authors Take Sides on the Spanish Civil War. And some people, I mean, Ezra Pound, very politically suspect, uh, said that Republican Spain is an emotional luxury to a gang of sap-headed dilettantes. But Beckett said, up the Republic. You know, and he, he stood by the idea of the Spanish Republic. Uh, and I think he was about to get, you know, he, he wrote those words in 1937. He was about to get his chance to prove that anti-fascism for him was about more than just words on paper.
0: Uh, you, you mentioned what he said about Trinity College. He also had a fairly damning thing to say about Ireland. Oh
1: my, when, the, when World War II breaks out, he famously quips better France at war than Ireland at peace and i mean you could <laughs> forgive you could forgive someone uh, for slipping back into Ireland, you know, a neutral little island, you know, when, when war breaks out. But he doesn't do that. He has this very strong emotional pull to France that keeps him there, even against the backdrop of war. And I think, you know, if you were a young man, there were other reasons to stick around Paris in the 1930s. There were women, there was drink, there was literary excitement. He had a brief affair in the 1930s with Peggy Guggenheim. That's a great name, isn't it? Peggy Guggenheim, bohemian American art collector and socialite, filthy rich, very open minded woman. So there was a life in. Paris that was very very different from the life you could have in Dublin and uh, I think Beckett wanted to take that even against the turbulence of the Second World War Uh, We talked a little
0: bit about the Danish resistance uh, here a few weeks ago the French resistance though I suppose a much bigger operation a much bigger footprint in the war
1: And In France it was a matter of life and death you know the very conquering of France for the Nazis had massive historical symbolic importance going back to the days of Napoleon you know and and the Germans I mean for Germany to take control of France was a a symbol of great power and status. And France had a very significant communist movement, political refugees from Republican Spain who'd lost the Franco and had gone over the border into France. And also a very strong conservative dimension. There's always been a very conservative right-wing French nationalism as well. And they weren't willing to bow to the Germans. So more than anywhere else, the resistance movement that emerged in France was a total motley crew from the left to the right and not unlike what we see these days happening in Syria, say with the PKK, the Kurds and the Free Syrian Army. Often the resistance in France broke into violence among itself you know, because they couldn't agree on the nature of society and what they were fighting for. But Beckett believed that there was something to fight for and he was actually in Ireland when the Second World War breaks out and he went back to France. So in other words, he travels into danger going back on the continent because he believes something has to be done.
0: So what what did he do? What was his job then? with the resistance
1: Uh, he doesn't fire guns but he's a courier and that's very important work I mean you can be captured by a member of the Gestapo on your bicycle carrying important notes across the French countryside and you're a dead man and likely everyone that's mentioned in those dispatches is a dead man as well Uh, and Beckett later said I felt strongly against the Germans it was a point of principle and he had a number of very narrow escapes from the Gestapo August 1942 things got very bad when a prominent local member of the resistance, the same cell that he was in, is captured and tortured. And if someone's been captured, you presume every secret's gone with them along the way. Beckett flees into a more remote part of the the country, but continues to assist the resistance, hiding arms on his property, and his trusty bicycle is always there. And he gets the war cross, and he gets the very beautiful resistance medal after the war. But he never really spoke about what he'd done and he dismissed it as Boy Scout stuff when to be honest I mean it was anything but being a courier in French resistance in 1942 is not Boy Scout stuff. Uh, were there any other Irish involved? There's one I don't know much about this man if someone does get in touch with me because I think there's, there's a great story in this there was a wonderfully named person called William Lucian Wise Bonaparte who was a <laughs> descendant of Napoleon Bonaparte born in Dublin Uh, in 1908 so Dublin's Napoleon was in the ranks of the French Resistance and a really sad story Alfred Perron who was a lecturer in Trinity College on one occasion uh, he actually lost his life he was in a concentration camp he was released at the liberation of the camp and he died uh, days afterwards so there were a number of Irish connections uh, to the French Resistance including Uh, Napoleon The the Boy
0: Scouts stuff uh, why did Beckett have so little to say about it about his time in the Resistance
1: I think because French society after World War II was not a particularly happy society you know and a conservative estimate would be that at least 10,800 executions were carried out on suspected collaborators in the aftermath of the war, kind of summary executions. And not to mention like the awful purges against women, you know, women that were suspected of sleeping with the enemy, often had their heads shaved and things like that. The left in France felt that they lost, that their war wasn't over. They played such a prominent role in the resistance and then they were governed by de Gaulle. who was a kind of arch-conservative. So I think many people in French society, even though the Germans had lost, they didn't feel like they'd won. You know, and the, the, the violence, the turbulent violence of the end of World War II in France, I think, meant that it was very much like the Irish Civil War. In some ways, it was just brushed aside.
0: Uh, he had, it's remarkable, really, the life that he had, was Isn't it? it?
1: I mean, not many of us live a life like Sam Beckett did. It was a long life. It was a life with a lot of tears, a lot of laughter. Uh, And when he won the Nobel Prize, you know, the New York Times front page said Samuel Beckett, the avant-garde writer, acclaimed for his plays and novels of loneliness, despair and human degradation, sounds like a Morrissey album, was announced today as the winner of the 1969 Nobel Prize for Literature. But there's a lot more in his work than loneliness, despair and human degradation. And, you know, he reminds me very much of Bertolt Brecht, uh, the, the great German poet. He had that same that same way about him. And I hope next year, the golden jubilee of him winning the Nobel Prize that should encourage people. If you haven't picked up a Beckett book or a Beckett play, give it a go. Nowhere else will you find an opening line as good as the opening line of Murphy. The sun shone having no alternative on the nothing new.
0: Absolutely brilliant. My <laughs> thanks to Donald Fallon. Actually, Donald, while you're here, we have to mention Gaelic Sunday. We talked about this a few weeks ago, this big event that happened. You there, there was made a, a call. wonderful
1: response to that piece. Basically, on 4th of August 1918, all over the island of Ireland, GAA bands were outlawed and people responded by playing something in the region of 1,500 games at once. And when we did the slot, I said, oh, we should mark this in some way. And ever since, just the inbox has been hopping. It seems like J A clubs kind of all across the country have taken it up and the GAA have announced that they're going to be marking the day in spectacular style so if you're involved in the GAA club myself and Cormac Moore who's a sports historian we're going to be going around Dublin Ga clubs in July and August uh, talking about Gaelic Sunday so get in touch
0: Alright that's absolutely brilliant the GA have responded to your <laughs> clarion call to mark Gaelic Sunday uh, my thanks as I said to Donald Fallon author of the Come Here To Me blog book volume 2 is out now and that is it for me today Off The Ball as always is up next here in News Talk my thanks to the production team Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan Jojo Cardozo was on sound to play us out born on this day in 1970 was Beck Hansen make him 48 he's 48 years old if that doesn't make you feel old this will Loser was recorded in 1993 25 years ago if it's even possible enjoy the rest of your Sunday
2: With a guitar string, a slab of turkey neck, and it's hanging from a pigeon wing. I get right if you can't relate. Trade the cash for the beat, for the body, for the hate. And my time is a piece of wax falling on a termite who's choking on the splinters. So...
0: going to change, I can feel it.